Uh, my name is Matt Mulberg. Welcome to church. Glad you guys are here with us, surviving the gray weather. I know it was beautiful yesterday, and it's not the same today, but we're in this thing together. We're going to be okay. Amen? Amen. Uh, this is the part of the service where we do a sermon of sorts, where we take a sacred text, and we try to root our stories inside of it and see if there's something uh, nourishing, empowering, equipping, something that's going to help us get through our Mondays, Tuesdays, and the rest of the days as well. Before that, though, I just want to say this, and I want to make sure we say it every time, is that regardless if there's anything worthwhile picking up in tonight's sermon, I never know if there is. Some, it's a hit or miss game. We want you to know that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. This space is, is solely for the purpose of reminding you that that song is true, that you are a child of God, that you are loved, and that you, who you are it far outweighs what you do, your output, your performance, your productivity, all of those things. Who you are is more important than what you do. Now let's talk about the sermon. Um, we are in a series right now called A Good Enough Lent, and it's just, it's the title of the book that we're kind of doing these, these chit-chats on Wednesday nights about, it's a great devotional, hands in the air if you are reading it right now. A couple people, great, super, love it, yes, awesome. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Like, it's been medicinal for me in different moments. It's just a great way to wake up, enter into, digest. It's just, I, I've loved that. To go through the series, though, we have been, been um, trying to stay with the lectionary and the different texts that it, it provides. And this week in particular, the lectionary was, you know, it was taking us to Philippians 3. And so I spent my whole week, I mean, I'm not like saying like all consuming all the time. Let me get the Lakers game off here in my notes up there. I listened to a lot on, on Philippians 3. I, I took in um, lectionaries, read books, uh, lectionaries. I listened to lectures, read books on Philippians 3. I heard preachers preaching on Philippians 3. You just don't, never know if you're going to come across some good plagiarizable content. Uh, I just feel like I've been in I've been in the studies this week on Philippians 3, and so it makes sense that I'm going to speak to you tonight from Psalm 126 instead. At, at about 2.30 this afternoon, I called my wife and I said, hey babe, can you come and just help me for a second? And she came down, and this is where she typically is used to me just kind of like saying, here's what I'm thinking about talking tonight. Does this make sense? Will you affirm me, value me, love me? But all I could really say to her was her, like, I have terrible anxiety and I don't know why. Like, I could not articulate for you why I woke up the way that I did today, but like in my body, there's like just on edge, uh, like just filled with, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to name it. But I tell you that because I think one of the reasons why I'm shifting from Philippians 3 to Psalm 126, yes, it is also a lectionary text, but it's, it's, I want to come into this space and not just offer you up a new perspective, but come with you and grab some new medicine because this text speaks. This text can move, this text can heal. This text has been good for me today. This is a moment in the psalmist's story where he's recounting Israel's tale. They have been taken into captivity and now they're back home. They got their boots on native land and he's talking about the full 180 that has transpired, the full restoration story. And I just want you to read this poetry. Here's what I ask of you too, is that the Psalms have spoken to millions of people throughout thousands of years. These are texts that um, they, they transcend the parameters of any particular religion and they have offered good food. And so when you hear these words, I get that they always can feel like maybe it's flyover territory, like what does this even mean? We're so no, 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 Th this has stood the test of time as offering a source of help to you. 
So these are the psalmist's words in Psalm 126. He writes this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. I don't know if you guys, maybe this is just a product of old age. Like, with the older you get, Patty, don't laugh at me. <laughs> the older you get, though, it's like you can get through those, let's call them winter seasons, where you just stop living with your eyes wide open and you stop, like, dreaming about the days to come. And every day feels like a continuation of the day before, and there's nothing really new, and new starts sound exhausting, and doing the extra thing sounds exhausting. You're not really, like, oh, you don't have much of an appetite to dream. These people did though. They were back in the land after being taken from their land, and the moment we get back, uh, the psalmist recognizes they're starting to open themselves up again to future possibilities. There is an internal resurrection that is transpiring inside of these people. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. He, he goes out weeping, and he comes home singing. He, he goes out with tears of sorrow, and he comes back with a mouth filled with joy. What party are you belonging to today? Regardless of whatever room you are exiting out of or entering into, do you find yourself walking out with tears out of exhaustion, out of sorrow, out of frustration? Or are you coming home with some handfuls of joy, with the sheaves of celebration? with the sheaves of this is good news. Which party do you belong to? What are you coming out of? And how has it impacted what you are going into? I was thinking about this this morning. Actually, I was thinking about it yesterday. Years ago, when we hit our first 50-degree weather day, my family, when it was just us three, we took little Wyatt down to the Lake Harriet, and it, it literally was high 40s, maybe 51 tops. But the place was like buzzing. People were in shorts, people were in shirts, people were laughing. There was actual happiness. Hadn't seen it in a long time, but people were filling Lake Harriet with all this activity. And we, we got to this part next to the beach where the ice had kind of drawn back and there was a, it was partially open to the water. And so naturally, in the high 40s, Wyatt kicks off his shoes and he wants to walk in. Now, who am I to stop a child? You know, he's dreaming again. His eyes have been reopened. And so he starts going into the water by himself. We're standing on the shore. We're watching this all unfold. As he is waiting, he's about ankle deep. He, he notices, we notice that there is a small crowd that has stopped, you know, strolling back and forth. Now they're gathering around Wyatt, like he's putting on a show for them. And um, in this crowd, there was this little old lady who was standing to my right. And she's watching Wyatt kind of splashing around in these, these um, hypothermic temperature water. And she says, man, Minnesotans are so stupid. <laughs> Said that out loud. She, did, she didn't know that I was little man's dad, but I, I heard her say it. And I said, you keep my son's name out of your mouth. And she agreed to do so. Um, 
But she had a point. Like, maybe it was stupid, right? Like, maybe we are a little crazy. Maybe it is a little absurd. But I will say that it doesn't seem as stupid when you recognize what we've survived. When you've gone through the winter, you know how to savor the sun. Minnesota summers are the best because Minnesota winters are the absolute worst. And so there was something out of recognizing that because we were in this place, we were put inside of a space that we did not want to be. Now that we are on the other side, joy, celebration might look stupid to you, but that's just because you don't understand what we've come through. You don't understand the places that we've been. There was a death inside of us that is now working to bring life through us. There was a loss that is somehow now producing a gain. There was a cross that is somehow now turning into an empty cave. What are the deaths that you are carrying within you that are trying to do the same thing? You know, we've said it before, but Lent is this invitation for all of us, the invitation for you to go down into you for the sake of you coming up into somebody that is healthy somebody that is integrated, somebody that has asked the hard questions and faced the things we'd rather flee from. That's what Lent is all about. And so again, I ask you, what are the places of deficit, the losses, the crosses, the absences? Where does it hurt the most? And what is that hurt trying to produce right now in you? Is this the end? There's a book that I'm getting really into right now. Anybody read The Boys in the Boat? A couple people, good. I really, I really enjoy it, Sheems. Did you enjoy it? You did, okay. She's not much on communicating, but hand gestures in general, that works great. Boys in the Boat, story of 1936 Olympics. The, uh, this American team going for gold in Berlin. It's a powerful story, and they really focus on one man in particular, uh, Jim Rance. Is that his name, Sheems? Jim Rance? Yeah, Jim Rance, Jimmy Rance, Jimmy Rancey. Jim Rance was kind of the physical specimen on the team. He was Mr. Do-It-All. He was somebody who could do things on the water that nobody else in the boat could. The only problem is, is that he came from a, a, a backstory of trauma and loss and um, it left him in this space where he would get into the waters and he would lose his mind from time to time. The game face would slip off, his focus would go missing, and he would fall apart. And so they connected Jim Rance to somebody named George Pocock. George Pocock wasn't on the team, but George Pocock was the creator of the boats. He was this famous man who would create all these different kinds of boats for schools all around the nation, send them out, and he's, he, he, he became like this mentor of sorts for Jim Rance. On one particular day, when, when Pocock made the commitment to work with Rance and trying to get his head right, to match up with the rest of his body, he brought him into his shop. And he starts showing him kind of the, um, like the tools, the different uh, um, techniques that he applies. He gives him a look behind the curtain at what it looks like to actually create these much coveted boats. And there's this part in the book where they talk about the exchange that transpires. And they talk about how when the tools were put away, Pocock brings out this fresh cedar, and he says, I'm going to make this into a beautiful boat. I want to read you what it says. He's talking about the cedar here, and he's trying to describe for him what it is that you are looking at, this, these rings on this wood. He says, their thickness and thinness spoke of hard years of bitter struggle intermingled with rich years of sudden growth. 
The different colors spoke of the various soils and minerals that the tree's roots encountered, some harsh and stunting, some rich and nourishing. Flaws and irregularities told how the trees endured fires and lightning strikes and windstorms and infestations, and yet continued to grow. As Pocock talked, Joe grew. It's not Jim, it's Joe. Sheaves, you lied to me again, I swear. As Pocock talked, Joe grew mesmerized. It wasn't just what the Englishman was saying or the soft, earthy cadence of his voice. He was the calm reverence with which he talked about the wood, as if there was something holy and sacred about it that drew Joe in. The wood, Pocock murmured, taught us about survival, about overcoming difficulty, about prevailing over adversity. But it also taught us something about the underlying reason for survival in the first place. Something about infinite beauty, about undying grace, about things larger and greater than ourselves, about the reasons we are all here. Sure, I can make a boat, he said. And then he added, quoting the poet Joyce Kilmer, but only God can make the tree. I'm going to think about that a lot today. I actually started weeping when I read that part in this book. I just sat down and go, that is beautiful because yes, this tree is 2,000 years old, but it's not just about the quantity of years. It's about the stretches that transpired and the seasons that make up those 2,000 years, the times when the fire came and disfigured it, the lightning struck, the soil grew toxic, the divorce happened, the cancer came back, the people that said that they would not leave, they left you. There are those seasons embedded inside of those rings and, and if you were a tree and we cut you wide open, we took a look at what's inside of you, I wonder if you would say the same thing. I wonder if you would lay out in front of you all the different rings that you carry within and you recognize that, yeah, that, that was in there. That pain, that disruption, that thing I didn't want to go through. It happened. It matters. It's not small. You don't age out of that. You just carry that with you. And yet this with all of its rings and all of its irregularities and all of its deficits and all of its losses and all of its crosses that were still going to be turned into a grave that is empty, this became a beautiful boat. Do you see yourself with everything that you've gone through, and we all go through different things, do you see yourself as nothing more than a stump? Are you able to identify that you are strong like a cedar? that the fire might have come and the fire might have taken everything, but the fire did not take you, that you're still here, that you're still standing, that yesterday isn't, isn't going to define you for the rest of your days, that today is a day that has never been lived before. It's a brand new start to something that anything is possible. You could even dream again. You could live wide open again. You could assume the best again. You could step out again. You could try telling the truth again. You could try making a new friend again. You could try showing up as you are again. Or you could say, I'm a stump, and this is where I stop. When we put on our masks, we do our dances, 
We value our performances and productivity over who we are as people, and we stop like stumps. The psalmist says that when you are going through these spaces of pain, please don't see it just as pain. Please don't see it just as pain, because there's always potential there. In fact, one of the most powerful lines that the psalmist offers up that, that I find to be so beautiful and moving is he describes the tears of exile. He, he describes the tears that come with being put in a place that you do not want to be, the, the pain, the trauma, the loss. And the psalmist has the audacity to say that not only did they cry, don't get it wrong, don't get it twisted, they didn't just have this emotional expression of pain. It was an activity. It says they were sowed, they were sowing tears. You know what sowing means? Planting. Sowing is planting. Your tears are your seeds. Yes, you are weeping, but yes, you are sowing. Yes, it hurts, but no, this is not where you stop. The tears, the pain expressed, it is a practice for growth. It is identifying that this sucks, this, hard, this is hard, this took almost everything out of me, but I'm still here, so I'm not done. I've been sowing tears, and soon I'm going to be coming home with joy. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that God is actually in the business still of turning crosses into empty graves? That the worst news isn't the only news. Do you still believe that the best is yet to come? You know, it's like when we talk about the mystery of faith and all these different things, and we're singing like that triumphant song that Hannah let us in, thank you, where we say it's a mystery, God is in the mystery. That, that means that we don't know. Like, we don't know how this whole thing works. We don't know if, like, God is actually sowing our seeds, our, our tears into seeds, and there's going to be, I don't know. Do you know? No, we don't know. But tell me a better framework for which you can live your life. Is it going to be, it is what it is, it all stops here, or are you going to take a leap of faith and say, no, 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 I won't be defined by the detriments and deficits that have been dealt my way in the past. I will be defined by the fact that I'm a cedar and not a stump, and where I am is not where I'll stop, and so I will keep on going. I'm crying right now, and to you it just looks like weeping, but I promise you that I'm sowing. Something good will come from this too. Something beautiful will still emerge from this. Not because I am all-powerful, but because I'm connected to one who is. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Just that reminder, sitting there one more time, just that you're not alone. Let me close with this. I had somebody send me this the other day. Um, story of Johnny Cash, 1967. He was at the lowest point in his life. His life had spiraled out of control because of drug addiction. Um, promoters were canceling all of his shows because of just his erratic behavior. His wife, Vivian, had filed for divorce. He was at the lowest of his lows, and he came up with the plan to end it all, to take his own life. He was going to head out to Nickajack Cave and wander into the caves until his flashlight burnt out and lay down and wait for death. It's not like... like I don't understand the plan personally. I'm assuming that he was on drugs when he made it. But he tries to go through with it. He goes to the cave. 
he follows the path and then he goes off the beaten path and into the dark and then comes that moment when the flashlight turns off and he lays down on his back and he waits and he weeps and he doesn't move. And then in the inky black darkness that is all encompassing him in that moment, a voice comes from the void and says, I'm still here. I'm still with you. I'm still by your side. Even in that space right there. Johnny Cash says that he had been convinced that he had wandered too far from God. But now he carried the conviction that that's impossible to do. That you might believe that you have wandered too far from God, that the low really is too low. But one of the first names we gave to Jesus was Emmanuel. To set before us the eternal reminder that there's no such thing as a low being too low. That even in Nickajack Cave, even in the graves of our moments, I'm still with you. I'm still here. Will you pray with me? God, we aspire to sow our tears in sorrow, trusting that soon they will produce joy. That where we are isn't where we'll always be. That the stretches that take more from us, they will turn into something that is gained for us. God, we trust that you are still in the business of turning crosses into empty graves, turning old 2,000 pieces of wood with all that life has taken away from them into beautiful boats that pursue the gold. Christ be with us. Christ be our confidence. Christ remind us that life is a gift and love is the point. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think the older I get, the more life I live and the more stories I get to be a part of. Matt, what you spoke about just really rings true that part of the beauty of our stories are those really hard parts. That's the fullness and the richness of our lives. And those are the moments, I think, that we're reminded that we're never alone, no matter what we go through. And yep. I think you know more than ever the more life you experience that life is a gift and that our story is part of a bigger story a story that there's mystery to but when you walk through those hard parts those are those moments that you experience God in a way that changes who you are we follow a God that assures us over and over again I'll be with you always. That's what we hang on to when we don't understand all the things going on in our lives, in our world. And this God that we followed, the night before he died, he sat at a table with his friends and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup he poured wine into the cup and he said this is my blood shed for you when you drink from this cup remember me and so tonight we invite you 
You can take your own cup, you can peel that back. You can take that wafer and hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. And as you drink from the cup, hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. And so no, no matter where you are or what you're walking through, in this moment, remember the promise that God is with you. We have each other. And now, um, if you'll please stand and together we pray the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.